I'm Tim Zolker. This is uh, New England Urban Church Planting. I'm the director of New England Urban Church Planting. We just call it new church planting, or sometimes we just call it new, um, N-E-U. And I'm here with... Todd Raines, managing editor for New Church Planting. And our guest today is... Morgan Proudfoot, pastor of Grace Harbor Church in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Morgan's the uh, feature guy around the table here today. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me. We're um, thrilled to be in the same region, working side by side, doing the same kind of thing uh, with with Morgan. And um, why don't you tell us about the church Tell us about um, Grace Harbor, New Bedford. And then after you do, uh, morph into telling us about the church planting effort because you want to keep expanding also. Yeah. So yeah. one and then two. Yeah, so uh, yeah, Grace Harbor, New Bedford planted um, in the city uh, just really in the middle of the pandemic, um, uh, June of 2020. So we just recently turned two years old. Uh, God's been really kind to us. Um, not Not exponential growth or anything like that, but uh, uh, a thousand uh, stories of God's providence, his kindness to us, his grace, his mercy, um, you know, everything you'd expect from the Lord. And so, uh, yeah, so we've just been faithfully trying to labor, preach the gospel, um, evangelize, love the broken in our city. Um, from that has really developed this, this burden, um, this, this, this passion and opportunity for us to, uh, really establish, uh, more, uh, little outposts, um, in our city, uh, for, uh, kingdom outposts, as we call them churches, um, specifically thinking about, uh, as we, as we think about kind of our context targeting, uh, n- trying to establish neighborhood churches in these forgotten neighborhoods, uh, in New Bedford and Fall River. Uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, the city of New Bedford and Fall River aren't the magnet for church planners to, to go to. Uh, and so we've kind of really taken on a, a collective burden and really have kind of, um, yeah, developed a ministry called neighborhood churches for forgotten places that seeks to plant and revitalize, um, neighborhood churches and densely populated neighborhoods throughout throughout these those primarily those two cities. I, I just uh, want to highlight God's grace because you skipped over a few things that are really significant um, that I want to highlight during COVID in New England in an urban poor community. You planted a church. Yeah. That is no small thing. Mm, that is yeah. just awesome. That has been God's grace. It was a joy to watch it from, I don't know, 30 miles away. And uh, also, I, I just want to add, when you say labor, you, brother, were laboring, like, on the church building. Um, you you brought it in with your pickup truck and your tools and other people you recruited. You're like Nehemiah. It was crazy yeah. watching. Uh, you were you were not quite gifted a building, or was it totally a gift? Yeah. So we yeah, we were we were gifted the building, um, and as soon pretty much as soon as we got it, we got a letter from the city uh, congratulating us on our new ownership of the building and letting us know it was scheduled for demolition. In about nine months, uh, the building was condemned and needed extensive work. Um, and so we, you know, quickly after getting the building, we got um, uh, some quotes. It was about a million dollars of renovations that it needed. There was only 17 of us as a, in a core group at the time. So that, that was out of the question. 
So we said, well, what if we did the work ourselves? Like, like just physically, we did the jackhammering. We did the, the swinging of the sledgehammer. What would that cost? That brought it down to about 300000 And we said, great, that's, that's what we'll do. And so we spent the first year, uh, really from 2019 to 2020, uh, six days a week, long hours, on the end of a jackhammer, on the end of a shovel, um, renovating a building ourselves just to get it to a code of occupancy so that with the hopes of launching on, on Easter Sunday of 2020, uh, and then COVID came. And so that, that it, it pushed us back. Um, the Lord, in our case, really used COVID in some really phenomenal ways. Um, but uh, yeah, there, there was a whole lot of a whole lot of sweat equity that went into um, our church planning experience for sure. And you've got a um, you've got a new building to be working on now, right next to the yeah. church building. Yeah, we <laughs> sigh. <gosh>. It's <laughs> like uh, yeah, we we came to plant churches, and it's like we've we've come to do demolition on buildings. But we purchased a large house next to us um, that was being really used for all kinds of things. Um, I mean, they were selling drugs out of there and, and running women out of there, and. Uh, we're currently renovating it, um, and the first floor on Sundays will be used for classroom space. During the week, it'll be a community center uh, for the neighborhood, and we'll have life enrichment classes that are being taught out of there. The second floor will be used all for staff offices and offices for future church planners and, and church uh, planning teams. And then the third floor will be um, housing for interns, residents, and mission teams um, that are coming in to labor and uh, serve our city. And so it's really a hub, a ministry hub, uh, ministry center for, for our city of New Bedford. I want to press into your upbringing and how it shapes your ministry now. Mm-hmm. You grew up in Seattle, mm-hmm. grew up in a context similar to what you're ministering in. Would you tell us your story and then um, I'd like to ask you some questions about how it shapes your pastoral ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Grew up on the West Coast uh, in the great city of Seattle, Washington. Uh, grew up in a lot of brokenness, um, a lot of physical, sexual, emotional brokenness. My dad was uh, in prison most of my life, um, left my mom, my sisters, and I kind of fending for ourselves. So, I spent a lot of time just growing up on the streets, uh, grew up hustling from a very young age, um, kind of just, I mean, no supervision, just kind of wheeling and dealing, making my, my way around the, the neighborhood. Um, this was during the, you know, the early 80s, back when, uh, you know, men would, you know, would, were carrying large boom boxes on their shoulder and the prostitutes on our front porch were wearing fur coats. And, and it was actually a great, a really great era to kind of grow up in. Uh, got my exercise kind of running from either the Bloods or the Crips during that time. I mean, I don't, I don't know if they're still around, but uh, they, that was a, a big thing uh, in Seattle at that time. But uh, when I was about 15, my, my dad got out of prison one of the times that he got out. And uh, almost overnight, we moved from inner city Seattle to the cornfields of Pennsylvania. And it was kind of under the, the, the cell of we're, we're going we're to search for a better life. Looking back, it was probably he owed money to somebody or there, there was something was, was, was coming after him. And so 
but that move saved my life. Um, I was on a, I was on a really quick, uh, trajectory to follow in my dad's footsteps. Um, and, uh, but when we moved to the cornfields of Pennsylvania, we had some elderly neighbors who lived, we, we literally bought an abandoned farmhouse in the middle of five, in the middle of 55 acres. So it was, it was, it was almost like witness relocation, but in reverse, right? Hmm. And, um, but we had some elderly neighbors who lived in the field in front of us who came walking down and they were probably in, our, in their late seventies, came walking down our long driveway uh, and invited us, uh, wanted, to, wanted to welcome us to the, to the country, but invited us to their church. And um, my parents, you know, quickly turned that down, but they invited me to come the following weekend to their house for a youth group bonfire. And, um, and I didn't, I actually didn't have a, I didn't have language for those words. I didn't know what a youth group was. Um, and I didn't know what a bonfire was. I knew what arson was, uh, but I didn't, I just, I was so inner city. Um, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't really know what a church was except for a building. Um, and so, but I, I went, uh, cause I, I was starved for relational connection, uh, moving from inner city Seattle to the, you know, cornfields of Pennsylvania and, uh, and met some really sweet kids. And, uh, but particularly that, that couple, that elderly couple, uh, really be, just grabbed hold of me and began to engage me with the gospel. And, um, every week I would, they would give me a ride to their church, to their youth group. And they would engage me as I'm in the backseat of their car, cussing up a storm. And I, I didn't know people lived to be that old. Um, I, I had no respect, not because I wasn't respectful, but I just didn't have a category for, for how I should behave. And so, but this elderly couple engaged me with the gospel, asked me questions, loved on me. And uh, somewhere walking from their field to my field in the middle of the night um, after a youth group, uh, God saved me. And um, I put my faith in Christ and repented of my sins. And uh, so I was about 15, 16 at the time. Uh, now, it took me uh, several years to really begin to get discipled. And so I... I I lived, I mean, from that moment with conviction of my sin and didn't really have language for that. I didn't really know what all that meant. Just knew that something happened to me and I was different. Uh, it wouldn't be until my early 20s that I began to to really get discipled. Um, but as I did get discipled, uh, you know, God really began to, to grow me and to give me a burden for uh, his church, his people, following his commands. Um, and, uh, it wasn't long that really felt the call to pastoral ministry. Um, some of that was also paired with my gifting of, uh, I've, I've always been entrepreneurial. I mean, since the earliest, you know, I mean, I was the kid at, at, at six years old, I was running down to the grocery store, buying candy, taking it to school, selling it for an upcharge. And I, I was making money at six years old all the time. And so, um, and that just continued in bigger things, the older I got. Mm. Uh, and so there was a, there was a, a natural bent there towards entrepreneurialism that obviously is in church planning as well. Um, but then also the heart to see God's kingdom expanded. And so, um, yeah, I began to grow in my, in my faith went on, uh, staff at a couple churches, um, really learned kind of what not to do there. Uh, planted a church in 2007 uh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, that was good experience, just not a good experience. Uh, learned a lot from there. 
um, that kind of led us for a season to uh, join the staff at the Village Church in Texas, uh, served there for a number of years, and then uh, in 2018 was sent out to plant uh, in New Bedford. Uh, And so uh, it's been a, yeah, it's been a long journey. Really, you know, as I look back, I think how I I really labored during my 20s and my 30s to climb out of my childhood um, to try to get away from, you know, quote unquote, those people. Um, Only in my 40s for God to send me back to kind of my roots with great gospel intention. And so as I think about how my own story shapes my view of, of ministry, my burden for ministry, even my, my you know, current experience, it, it's really, uh, it forms all of it. I mean, um, it, it's really, you know, my, my burden for kind of the, the, the population we're ministering to um, is there because they are me. And um, God has done just a lot of work in my own life to see uh, and understand his love for me which means his love for uh, people who are struggling, who are hopeless, who are helpless, uh, and not if they just clean themselves up, but his love for them right now where they are. Um, and so that that's kind of shaped my entire ministry uh, probably for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, your wife didn't grow up in the neighborhoods, in the same way that you did. I'm curious, at some point along the way, there's a conversation. Yeah. Uh, hey, honey, do you want to go into New Bedford and plant in an urban poor community, you know, yeah. of some sort? How did that go? Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so my, my wife grew up completely different side of the tracks than I did. She grew up uh, actually around here in Atterboro. Um, mass. She grew up uh, upper middle class. Um, her her family is very successful in business. And so, uh, but the Lord saved her at a very young age. Um, she's really the only Christian in her, in her family, but um, she, man, my, the Lord just has really gifted my wife with, um, with, with faith in him, not, not necessarily faith in things are going to be good. Things are going to be comfortable, but that like, if God is leading us, like we're going to be okay. And, uh, and, and she, she's learned over the years, we've learned over the years that God has made us, uh, God has made his people adaptable. And so, um, but yeah, when we moved to our city and we were even considering our city, uh, there was a lot of hard conversations Mm -hmm. and, um, and, uh, you know, growing up around here, she, she knew the reputation of New Bedford. She knows the reputation of Fall River. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the places you drive through to get to the Cape. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't stop. And so uh, it was, it was and yeah, I mean, like anybody, it's a hard sell, right? Moving to, you know, saying, hey, let's move from our cute little comfortable suburban lifestyle and let's go move into the projects. Let's go move into the neighborhood that there's dealing and prostitution happening and mental health and neglect and hurting children. Like, let's go do, give our lives to this. Um, it's obviously not for everyone, but at the same time, uh, it's probably for more than, than what more people think it is. And, um, and really just, yeah, we, we came to this place where we wanted to be used by God. We we're, we're you know, we're in our forties. So we're not old, but we're not young. 
And uh, we wanted to go somewhere where we could spend the rest of our days never running out of gospel opportunity. And, um, and that's, that, that led us to moving our yes in and saying, okay, Lord, if that means you want us to call to serve with the least, the last and the lost of these in these forgotten neighborhoods, then we will, we will reorient and give our entire lives to being uncomfortable in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, and trusting that it's, 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 it will be the good life. Um, like that sacrificially living for Christ in this life, uh, will produce the reward that, that he's promised us. Um, so, you know, this raises the issue of fit. Some, some people will say, well, you know, I, I see the need and I understand that God has a heart for these communities, even in a special way, I even see the church as what's needed the most, but it's just not a good fit. And I think that issue of fit is something you're addressing, really, because if if we uh, if we only go where we fit, then the, the missionary venture is not going to happen. That's right. Period. Starting and and would not have happened uh, throughout the Book of Acts. Yeah. It, we would not have a modern missions movement. Yeah. Um, Adoniram Judson did not fit in Burma. Right. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a there's there's a dependency that's required, and, and really, like as I talk to people, they're like, "Yeah, I, man, we we commend what you're doing. We could never do that." I always want to push into that and be like, "Let's let's just dissect that. Do you mean it's going to be too uncomfortable? Yes, you're right. It's it's going to be too. It's going to be very uncomfortable, which is going to need you to depend on the Lord in ways that you're not. Are you are you saying that it's going to be really hard to raise your kids?" In, in, in hard schools and in hard neighborhoods, yes, you're right, it is, which means you're going to need to depend on the Lord in ways that you don't currently are, are doing that. Uh, and so I, I really, really, I mean, I understand the question very much. I, I deal with the question all the time. I always just want to reframe it as, um, yes, it's going to be hard, and yes, the Lord's going to be with you. And um, and in the hardness of the call shouldn't um, eliminate us considering the call, uh, but rather lead us to push in to laying all of, pushing all of our chips in on the Lord and saying, unless you show up, this is going to go really bad. And, um, and what we have found time and time again is, is he's just always faithful to show up. Hmm. You and your wife are a good example of how it's hard from two different angles I think uh, a lot of people assume that if you're indigenous to that community or that type of community, then it's much easier for you. But some things that you've said um, are, are important to realize that growing up in that neighborhood in most cases means you want to get out of that neighborhood and those circumstances. There's pain there. There's suffering there. There's hardship. There are memories there that you don't want to go back to at all. And, and sometimes we even say plan A for new church planting and looking for uh, church planters is guys that grew up in the neighborhood. Yeah. That's really hard on them. Many of them just want to escape and never look back yeah. because of the pain of it. On the other hand, um, I think it's easier to see, oh, somebody growing up in the suburbs in an upper middle class context, that's really hard for them because they don't understand the context. But I think we have to realize it's hard for both. That's right. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, um, you know, days that, uh, yeah, I, I mean, whether it's it's those who uh, are looking for just a, a life of less chaos um, and more stability uh, off street parking, that, that's, you know, just the little things, 
Um, it, the, the temptation to move out is, is there. Uh, or whether it's people like me who, you know, hear screaming and yelling and it puts me in a place, uh, takes me to a place that's not good or there's conflict or there's tension or um, the, the same thing that the temptation is there to, man, if I, I could get it, why am I subjecting myself to this? Um, but then going back and, and just you know, resting in that call, the need um, in God's provision of providing uh, his, himself and strength and uh, protection for, for such occasions. Mm. Doug Logan talks about the, um, the value of hybrid uh, leaders or hybrid um, uh, people who are members of maybe multiple groups. And it sounds like you kind of fit that or you and your wife fit that. And how does that, um, but maybe not the rest of your team. And I don't know, you haven't spoken much about your, the rest of your team, but is there a value in having people like that in a team, even if the whole team aren't hybrid, aren't, um, people who are from the neighborhood, but maybe have also experienced, you know, your time at, um, in Texas was obviously, it sounds like it was different. Um, so how do you think about a team's build and kind of the different types of people in a team? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting that when we you know when we were building a team, uh, the Lord has, the, the the Lord actually has built a phenomenal team. Um, that's one of the, the the key reasons that Grace Harbor has seen this, the success it has. Um, but when we were building a team, you know, we all have these ideas of the type of team we would build, and uh, and 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 I talk to a lot of my buddies all the time. It's like, man, if the Lord if the Lord would have allowed me to build the team I wanted we would have no, no need for him to show up. Um, we, the Lord picked our team for us. Um, and what I mean by that is, is all of my friends that I asked to join, not a single one of them joined our team. Um, we had people that we were distantly connected to say, Hey, we, we hear the vision. We feel like God's calling us to respond. And, and I'm trying to introduce myself to them. Who, who are you again? <laughs> Remind me your name. Um, but that was the team that the Lord picked. And it, it was uh, initially it was uh, several families from 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 Texas that lived in the suburbs that, uh, you know, sold their homes, quit their jobs, cashed in their 401ks, geographically moved across the country. Southerners moved north, which that that in itself is, you know, unbelievable. Um, but what they they had a burden for seeing uh, the gospel uh do its work and, 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 and save the loss. And so they had that missional uh, endeavor, missional heart. Um, but then there were other people of our team that were far from that, that were more inner city and rough around the edges. And um, so, so we, we've learned that when it comes to making teams is we throw we cast wide nets uh, and we're looking for, for not a particular type of person. Uh, now staffing, that's a little different, but when it comes to just like, you know, building a church, um, we, we say all the time, Christians plant churches, it's not pastors. So we're, we're looking for a team of Christians. We're looking for a pastor. We're looking for another elder. We're looking for some gospel workers, but we're also mainly looking for and the, the most important role in the, in the local church is just members. Who wants to come move here, not for a position, just to be a member of a healthy church and to help start a healthy church. And so we have, we had yeah, several uh, different people to come to do just that. And, um, and the team was diverse. It was everything from professionals 
to uh, people who kind of like myself grew up on the streets um, and then all those in between. And each one of them has played a, just a, an amazing, unique role uh, in, in the forming, in the, the planning, the establishing of Grace Harbor Church, but then also even um, continue to do so through the ministry of neighborhood churches as we think about, okay, what would it look like for God to not only do this at Grace Harbor, but now all throughout our city and Fall River uh, the same type of way? You're planting um, congregational churches, and so I heard in there, we're looking for Christians, just members. Yeah. Um, we're doing the same thing, planting congregational churches, and um, I, I feel like that's healthy. Well, I think it's, we could argue the, the, the biblical justification for uh, different uh, options of church polity, but... Um, I, I think there's something healthy about congregational churches in these neighborhoods in particular. Um, there's a God-given empowerment of the members that offsets a sort of uh, uh, non-Christian, non-biblical empowerment that often gets talked about in the inner city. Having said that, uh, what are the challenges? What are some of the challenges of congregational churches in a community where somebody might, just like you, have very little uh, exposure to theology, doctrine, Bible, mm-hmm. church, yeah. churchness. you got to do a lot of training. Yeah. Is it worth planting congregational churches, and is it worth the risk of saying, you guys are responsible for hiring? I, I watched the constitution of your church. Mm-hmm. Um the members, as constituted, then five minutes later, brought you on as the pastor. Yeah, that's investing a significant amount of authority in the members, and as you do that in a community like this, there's risk to that, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of risk, um, uh, especially when you're, you know, thinking about like you're building a church from people of the neighborhood who most of them have zero church history experience, biblical understanding. And then the ones who do, it's probably going to be bad, bad experience, bad teaching. Um, and so, yeah, it takes a lot of time. Um, and, and then what we're finding is that even the time we do spend, it's still just never enough. Like we, we feel like we've spent two, you know, three years teaching on, on some of these things. And, uh, and we still get questions almost every day. Wait, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Why do we care? Why? why can't we just do our church and why do we need to care about other churches in the neighborhood? And it's like, man, we've, okay, we'll just slow it back down. We go back to it again and again and again. And so we're, it feels like a lot of the times we're having the same conversation a hundred times. And, uh, but you know, that being said, I think the, the question is, is like, well, what's the end goal? Uh, and the end goal for us is that we would see um, neighborhood churches established where there are not any, uh, made up of uh, people, uh, indigenous people from the city, um, that we really too we really are, are serious about making disciples and not just uh, relocating disciples. Now, there's a certain amount of relocation that has to happen. You need a, you need you need some some seeds to to grow. Um, so we we're always recruiting and looking for seeds, looking for people to transplant their lives here. But the end goal is is that no, we would make disciples from the people on the streets. And so, you know, in our city, there's a lot of 
you know, just uh, a lot of brokenness, a lot of people kind of just walking around in this kind of zombie-like state. Well, we have huge hopes and beliefs that that they can be, uh, that they they one day can plant churches. Mm-hmm. And I know that because I was one of them, <laughs> right? So the fact that I'm a pastor uh, doing this type of work, discipling people, gives me great hope that anybody, no matter how addicted, how abused, how neglected they are, can be doing this very same this very same thing. Mm-hmm. We sometimes say at New Church Planting, we're looking for we're not so much looking for church planters. We're looking for missionaries who will plant churches. Mm. There's a mindset to this, yeah. which raises the issue of financial sustainability. Um, I, I know you uh, search for and are blessed by outside financial resources. Would you answer the question, why do inner city churches deserve and need outside funding? If you think they do. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's really kind of like, if, if you back up out of that question, it's really kind of a question of stratification. Like when we think about how churches get established, how the gospel goes forward, how it even has historically, I mean, all the way from, you know, I think of the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 11, as they sent out the first missionaries, um, they were sent out equipped with resources. And so uh, as we think about like the way that uh, stratification happens, you know, it, it, it really, unfortunately, all the resources land kind of in the middle. And, and on the sides, you have kind of the poor inner city, and then you have the poor rural. Um, and, and so uh, we, you know, as laborers in these fields have to find creative ways to fund the mission. And um, why do we need to do that? Well, because the people who fall on the sides, the inner city, the, the poor rural, are every bit as worthy of hearing the gospel, um, every bit made in the image of God. They struggle with different things than the people who live in the middle, um, but it shouldn't, in our kind of perception, understanding of the scriptures, it shouldn't just be those who culturally culturally would be more worthy of hearing the gospel should be recipients of it. And so, so yeah, we, we do um, a good amount of uh, intentional uh, searching for resources and fundraising and trying to um, find like-minded ministries, like-minded churches, like-minded donors who um, trying to give them a vision for, um, you know, there's lots of good things you can give your mission dollars to. Uh, we believe that, that you should be stewarding your mission dollars. Uh, the best use of them is to reach uh, the unreached UPGs, unreached people groups. Um, here in New England, you know, in the United States, there's there's two locations that there are UPGs, Salt Lake City, Utah, for obvious reasons, and then all six states of New England. Um, and then particularly as we think about even where we're at uh, here, in, I mean, my, our ministry, New Bedford Fall River, you know, our city's 150,000 people 85% of those people are poor working class, means they live on $22,000 a year or less. And so the reason that nobody's planning churches in cities like ours and neighborhoods like ours, uh, well, it's, it's multiple. I mean, it's it's hard, it's dangerous, that type of thing. But also it's just financially very, uh, very slow. It's very unrewarding. Um, it's not, it, it takes a long time for churches and ministries in our neighborhoods to be self-sustaining. And so it requires us to find like-minded ministries to, um, to, to help fund the mission. Uh, and what we see is that, um, you know, the, as it, as it does, uh, and as God saves, as he promises to do, 
um, that he does build his church. And so it's not just throwing, you know, for lack of a better term, good money on bad. No, it's throwing good money on good soil. Uh, and what we see here is nothing. I mean, what we've experienced is nothing but opportunity. I mean, the work is hard, but the opportunity is vast. And so, um, so yeah, we, we're, we're every bit of always trying to encourage uh, people to consider generously giving to, to gospel work in places that nobody else um, or very few people are considering going uh, and, uh, and, and sending people to, to assist in the, those fields. If somebody wants to give or if somebody wants to come and serve with you short term or long term, how do they get a, how do they get in touch with you online? Yeah. So you can go to our, uh, you can go to the Grace Harbor website, which is graceharborchurch.net. Uh, or you can go to uh, the newly uh, updated, newly released uh, Neighborhood Churches website, which is neighborhoodchurches.org. And um, you can contact us and get connected that way. We love working side by side with you. We've been talking to Morgan Proudfoot, pastor of Grace Harbor Church, New Bedford, Massachusetts, and founder and director of Neighborhood Churches for New Bedford and Fall River. We encourage you to get in touch with uh, Morgan Come visit. Come see New England. If you're not from New England, come see New England. See the opportunities in our inner cities. They are vast. We'd love to have you come and serve with us here. Morgan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys.